0: Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly of God podcast. Please join us at 9 a.m. at the main campus, and 11 a.m. at the Monks Corner, Remount, and North Charleston campuses. Thank you for listening. And we hope that God blesses you through doing so. All right, take your Bibles out and turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We are in our series of Baby Changes Everything. Last week, we discovered how that baby came to bring peace. And we talked about how that we could have peace in our lives. Uh, We're going to go back again to Luke chapter 2 and begin with verse number 8. Let's stand together for the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 2 and verse number 8. Now they were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Everybody say joy. Joy. Which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Father, we are so thankful that into this world, When you came, you came to bring joy. And I just pray this morning for those who may be heavy-hearted, for those who may be going through uh, grief, depression, anxiety. Lord, I pray that this morning you would be the glory and lifter of their head today. And I pray that for those who may not yet have found the joy that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ, that before they leave, you will transform them and change their lives. We thank you, God, for the joy that comes through knowing you. And we love you and we pray that your word will find fertile ground today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. All of time is divided by B.C. and A.D. Everything, all of history is divided by the coming Of the Lord Jesus Christ, the year of our Lord. And so we kind of break it down. Everything before Christ is BC. Everything after Christ was born is AD. How many know in a family that time also is divided in every single family between BK and AK, before kids and after kids? Uh, babies radically change everything. It changes the whole dynamic of the family when a child enters that family. Let me give you some examples. Before kids, a nice dinner out included linen tablecloths, fancy restaurants, just a wonderful, nice, warm, fuzzy atmosphere. A.K. after kids, a nice dinner includes a vinyl bib that goes down over the high chair and uh, over the floor and... uh, Covers as much of the restaurant as possible. (laughs) Before kids, it was luxurious weekends at a bed and breakfast getaway, just you and the wife, you two alone and nobody else there, and it was such a wonderful time. After kids, a luxurious weekend includes sleeping past five o'clock in the morning and possibly waking up and not finding Cheerios in your bed from the day before. Before kids, You pride yourself on making new contacts, business associates, finding that right headhunter, finding that right kind of job, making the right kind of connections in your life. After kids, you'll make friends and associates, but your friends and associates include Big Bird and Barney and the Wiggles and all those kinds of people. Everything changes before kids And after kids, a baby literally changes everything. In fact, when that baby comes into your house, you will rearrange the furniture. You'll put up those little guardrails at the head of every set of stairs. Uh, You've got to make room for the crib and all the baby paraphernalia that comes along with it. Your sleeping patterns are going to change dramatically. You will be awakened in the middle of the night. And boy, when that six-month time comes or nine months or however long it is, and you can finally sleep through the night, what a joyful night that is. Only for the next night to have it revert back all over again. Your priorities get all rearranged. And and when that baby comes along, your entire family circle is affected. A baby changes everything. And yet the birth of Jesus Christ, as we talk about that, was like every other baby that's ever been born. And we talked a little bit about that last week, how similar it was to every single child that is born and uh, being developed in the mother's womb and going through the birth canal. And the whole process, he went through the same as every single baby that is ever born. And, And so, and like every baby that is born, he radically changed the lives of Mary and Joseph, just like these parents who were up here. Their lives were dramatically changed when they had the birth of that Precious child. And yet like no other baby ever born, Jesus Christ's birth changed the entire world. I'm talking cosmic here. I'm not just talking about changing a family. I'm talking about radically changing a world. And that's the reason the angels lit up the sky and said, I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. Not just Mary and Joseph at the birth of their child, but, but literally this child would, could change all people. For all time baby changes everything and yet no one quite changed the world like jesus christ i uh was looking back through history and and uh craig actually found a few of these things on the internet for me some unusual births. i want you to hear about these frida bomb burn uh at 60 years of age gave birth to twins can you believe 60 years old starting out with twins uh the uh uh, the a Canadian, Anna Bates, has the largest baby ever born on record. That baby was 23 pounds, 12 ounces. Now, now, the, the ladies are going, oh my, <laughs> you just can't imagine that. I, I mean, Jason was nine pounds, and, and you, you thought he was a beast. But uh, uh, 23 pounds, 12 ounces, 30 inches long. Here's one, the first wife of of Fitor Vaslin, a peasant from Russia in the 1700s, had 69 babies, 67 of which lived. You say mathematically, how can that be possible? Listen to this combination. Had 16 sets of twins, seven sets of triplets, and four sets of quadruplets. She had 69 kids. Unbelievable. And and, and you go in in the Word of God, the the Word of God has just a few miraculous births that are incredible. Uh, Abraham and Sarah, 100 years of age, and and Abraham's 100, and Sarah's 90 years old. Uh, An incredible miracle. It is just nothing but a miracle of God. And we shared that a few weeks ago how that everything was dead, but God brings life out of deadness and brought a miracle into their household. And, and of course, Elizabeth was well past childbearing years when she conceives and, and is gonna have a baby. But there's probably no, there's no greater miracle than, the, than a virgin birth. That's never happened. It ha- only happened once in all of history and that was with Mary. And that's the greatest, most miraculous birth ever to transpire And in this child, the power and presence of God comes through and a baby is being born that is literally going to change the world. And in this child, like no other, God shares in our struggles and he comes down and he becomes a man and he takes on all of our pain and he begins to understand suffering and he shows us the way to hope because Jesus Christ is fully God and yet he's fully man. And so he totally, God is totally identifying with us. He becomes one of us. The creator of the universe becomes a man so we could approach him, so he knows how we feel, so he understands our struggles, so we could reach out to him. Now, now Luke has the longest. Uh, birth narrative of any of the gospels and it really goes back to Mary and Joseph and I just want to kind of set the scene for you these are teenagers and they're frightened teenagers and the angel comes and says you're going to have a baby now you can imagine that not, that word coming out it's a close-knit small community uh, of Nazareth uh, there's just uh, not that many and so everybody knows everybody and news travels very quickly it was before facebook and all that kind of stuff but news would get out and and it's no wonder that when mary hears this word she's pregnant in the small jewish community she's greatly troubled or and, and no translation says afraid now, all these emotions are going through her brain i'm going to have a baby and everybody's going to know and and i'm just betrothed to joseph we're not married yet we're we're engaged and we're betrothed to one another and, and yet And because of this pregnancy, she would be branded as an adulteress because she's committed to Joseph. And so now if you're pregnant, you're going to be considered an adulteress. Uh, If you're an adulteress, you could be killed by stoning. At first, Joseph faces this dilemma. What do I do with Mary? She's pregnant. She's showing. Everybody knows. And, And so he thinks in his mind, Maybe I'll put her away privately, just just hide her out, shh, rather than press charges against her and have her stoned to death. Until an angel shows up and reveals himself to Joseph and says, hey, this is, this is my doing. This is my thing. This is by the Holy Spirit. This is God's son, my son. The gossip in the street probably included a short list of potential fathers, And yet I would say on nobody's list was God. God wouldn't have been the father on anybody's list in the city of Nazareth. He would not have been listed there with all the other potential candidates. The only lady who really somewhat understood what Mary was going through was Elizabeth, whose own pregnancy, as I already said, was was a miracle in itself. And the Bible says when Mary and Elizabeth got together, the baby inside Elizabeth's womb leaped for joy at the presence of, 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 of Mary and Jesus Christ in the womb of, uh, of Mary. And, and so she understood like nobody else. And yet you can see a real contrast between the birth of John the Baptist and the birth of Jesus Christ. Uh, Mary's, uh, Elizabeth's, Pregnancy, the, the the whole countryside was excited. And everybody's thrilled. And, and Elizabeth and Zachariah are going to have a baby. And the news is spreading, and the excitement and amazement is there. But Mary has to hide out in shame in her own miracle. John the Baptist's birth took place amid a great fanfare and a midwife is there and the relatives are there and everybody's waiting to see the birth of this, this child and it's in that time Zachariah receives his speech back again and he comes out talking and says, I've got a boy, I've got a boy, his name is going to be called John and everybody's rejoicing and yet six months later, Jesus is born far away from home, uh, away from everybody else. There's no extended family there. There's no midwife there to help deliver that new child Uh, It's in a cold stable and it's there Jesus Christ is born. Uh, And so right away you can begin to catch the contrast contrast. The fate of the world literally rested in these two teenagers, Joseph and Mary. You gotta wonder is, is Mary's pregnant. And uh, and and she's growing, and people are talking, and all these changes are going on in her body. And every time she felt that little baby kick inside of her stomach, I wonder how many times she reviewed those angels' words in her mind, in her heart. Wonder how many times. Joseph second-guessed his encounter with the angel. Was that really real? Did it really happen? Uh, as people kind of laughed at him and jeered at him, and, and you wonder as he saw his fiance growing in size, uh, how many times the angel's words were replayed in his own mind. And yet Mary came to the conclusion, and here's what she says, and I want you to get this. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said ultimately doing God's will was more important than the opinions of man. And it has to be the same way for every single one of us. We've got to come to a point in our own life where God, I'm yours, whatever you want me to do, whatever you call me to do, no matter what my family may think, no matter what my friends may think, no matter who turns against me, God, I am your servant. Ultimately, the will of God must be the most important thing. And that's the way it was Mary she was the first to accept Jesus on his own terms regardless of what it cost her and then then you move on down in Luke's gospel and you get to the shepherds and the shepherds play a vital part in the story and it was there the birth announcement is made uh, and they said do not be afraid for behold I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people Rejoice. Rejoice. Why why, why were those words of the angels, rejoice? I think the first thing we see, and it kind of came out in the clip, is we rejoice because now God is approachable. God is... Approachable you know it, it's interesting that the angels appear to shepherds shepherds are considered nobodies nobody likes shepherds they're out in the fields by themselves they talk in this towns where they're kind of weird out there with the sheep all the time the names of the shepherds are never recorded they're considered unclean uh, even though they would prepare sheep for the sacrifice uh, they themselves were not allowed to go into the temple because they were considered dirty and unclean and they had to remain in the outer courts uh, and yet Jesus Christ comes to shepherds And Jesus Christ is forever going to be known as a friend of sinners. Came to guys like us. People who didn't deserve it. People who, he just came to common, ordinary folk. He is a friend of sinners. You know, most religions, when they talk about God, fear is the primary emotion when you approach their God. Now, we are to reverence God, and I don't think that ever changes. And yet, yet the driving force, the dominating force of every religion on the face of the earth, with the exception of Christianity, fear is the motivating factor when talking about their God. The Hindus, uh, I was over in India, and they take their shoes off, and they go into the temple, and they chant, and they bow, and they got the holy men there, and they fold their arms, and they're kind of in a trans-like state. And they were, it, w- it was in Calcutta, and Calcutta is named after the god of destruction Kali and Kali that I was in that walked in there just to see the, the temple area there when I visited Calcutta and I walked in and it was demonic you felt such an oppression and there was an incredible fear that permeated the entire place as they chanted took their shoes off killed some animals spilled some blood and offered their sacrifices to the god of destruction the muslims Five times a day, they bow their face, they get on their knees, they bow their face all the way to the ground so low that their their forehead is to touch the ground because their idea of Allah is a God of fear, an unapproachable God. And so we bow as low as we can in fear to our God. And even in Judaism, you go back to some of the stories and you come to the burning bush and what's the bush say? Take your shoes off. The place you're standing is holy ground. And so you get the sense of of, of this unapproachableness. And then when Moses goes up on Mount Sinai and the the top of the mountain is on fire and lightning's cracking and he told the children of Israel, he said, Says, Don't touch the mountain because if you touch the mountain, you're going to die. And so they could even touch the mountain that Moses was on top of and then of course when they mishandled the ark of the covenant remember the story when they're trying to move the ark and uh they're trying to go uh, take it to jerusalem and the cart begins to stumble they weren't carrying it the right way and the ark begins to fall and Uzzah goes and he puts his hand on the ark to study the ark and because he touches the ark immediately he's struck dead and so you you have this idea and if you and in a temple <coughs> excuse me in the temple. They had the Holy of Holies, and there was a curtain there. And and you could not ever go into the Holy of Holies unless you were the high priest. And there in the in the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant, which signified the manifest presence of God. And in the Ark of the Covenant was the law and Aaron's rod that budded. And so you have this, and the angels, the cherubim, looking down over the judgment seat the, 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 on top of the Ark. And no one could ever go behind that veil. No one could ever go into that, but... In, in, and if they did, the Bible says they would be killed immediately on the spot. And once a year on that day of atonement, the high priest could not even go in unless he first offered sacrifice for himself. And so you have this idea of a God who is unapproachable, but now God himself shows up in a manger. What can be more disarming than a baby? What can be less scary than a child, a baby wrapped in swaddling claws? Uh, God found a way to reach out to man, uh, and he comes. uh, And and what he is saying is joy to the world. God is approachable. You can come into his presence. Uh, He's made a way, a new and living way to come into the presence of God, uh, a way that doesn't involve fear. Hebrews says there is now a new and living way that we can approach God. And through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, that veil that stood in the temple was ripped from the top to the bottom. Uh, and now I can come into the holy of holies uh, by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I can come with confidence. I can come with boldness uh, into the throne of grace. Uh, and I can find grace and mercy to help me in my time of need. Uh, I can rejoice uh, because now I can have that kind of closeness with my creator. and that's what the birth of jesus christ changed i now have access god became a man so he could speak a language that we could understand and i understand and and i see him clearly now and i know what god is like Uh, and so joy to the world the savior has come and let me tell you today you can come to god because he came for you joy tells me God is approachable. Second reason I can rejoice is found right here in our text, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a savior. Joy because the savior's come. Listen, the greatest joy you'll have in your life is knowing that every sin has been washed away. It's gone. It's gone. No more. It'll never be brought up again. Listen, you ought to be shouting right now, rejoicing right now. Our sins are gone. Guilt is gone. Jesus took our place. He took our judgment upon himself when he hung on the cross. Therefore, I don't have to go to a cross. I don't have to be killed and destroyed because of my sins because Jesus Christ took my punishment. And we're united with our heavenly father. We're brought into relationship with our creator and we can know him intimately. And he puts his spirit down in us that I can cry out, Abba, father. Salvation, what a joy. I rejoice because the savior's come. Listen, the joy of salvation is not like a temporary happiness that you find in this world. Listen, any happiness, any joy in the world is short-lived. It does not last. It is based on circumstances. And if the sun's shining, then I'm happy. But if it's raining, I'm miserable. I want to tell you, that's not the joy of the Lord. It's not based on a temporary pleasure that's found in sin for a season. And the Bible does say there is pleasure in sin, but only for a season. But it's a deep joy of knowing that Jesus Christ is living inside of me and he's my Lord and he's my Savior. I'm going to tell you guys something. Listen to me. The enemy, the devil, is a joy thief. He wants to rip you off and rob you of your joy. And if you begin to listen to him, what happens is you become critical and judgmental. Now, if you become critical and judgmental, he will rob you of your joy because you're so busy criticizing everybody else, judging everybody else, uh, listening to, listen to the lies of the devil, bringing, sowing discord in your heart, in your spirit. You'll be so busy doing that, you can't laugh at yourself anymore. And, 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 the, and that's kind of the way the Pharisees and Sadducees were they were a, a judgmental religious bunch. And, and it's just like they'd eaten a bunch of sour grapes. I just, I swear. Nothing could make them smile. Their joy had been ripped off because they were so being, being religious and judging everybody else who was not like them. Listen to me. That they lost their joy. And now Jesus comes along. And Jesus drives them crazy. Because he's, he's unlike anybody else. He's happy. He's a religious leader, but he's happy. He's a rabbi, but he's happy. He hung out with other happy people. And it just drove the Pharisees and the Sadducees nuts. And so they would attack Jesus. And they accused him of being a glutton and a wine bibber and a friend of sinners. And they attacked his personality and they attacked his character because they were sour pusses and he was happy. Is, can I say that in church? I think it's said sour puss. You've heard that expression. I don't know. I've heard it. Hebrews 1.9. God, your God. About, listen to this. This is so neat. Hebrews 1, nine. God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you, listen, with the oil of joy. God had anointed Jesus Christ, prophetically speaking here, with an oil of joy. So you have Jesus Christ who's a joyful, happy person. So what, like I read earlier, kids just flock to Jesus Christ because he's joyful. And people gathered around him. And the masses gathered because they wanted to be close to him. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Why? Because you have a Savior. You have a savior, it's Jesus Christ. And with Jesus Christ, we ought to be the most joyful, exciting people on the face of the planet. Sunday school teacher told uh, her class the story of Jonah and the whale. whale, And kind of laid it all out graphically and explained everything that happened to Jonah and the whale and the whole thing. And and when, when, when he got done, said, Timmy, what do you think the moral of this story is? And Timmy thought for a while, and then he brightened up and says, this is it. People make whales throw up. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if he quite got it or not. But, but, but what? too many people go through life and they're afraid to laugh. They're afraid to have joy. And Jesus Christ is that Savior that came to bring joy. The third reason that I believe we can have joy like nobody else and Jesus Christ came to bring joy is because Jesus is servant i want you to follow this analogy you got to go to mark 10 45 and let me read it to you for even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many now some of you guys are you're believers you're christians but you say pastor i don't feel that same kind of joy you're talking about this morning i don't I, I know i'm saved and yes there's some joy there but you know i'm kind of sad and i'm kind of depressed and it's kind of you know i kind of going by circumstances and i just don't kind of feel it let me give you one pointer and get this real joy is found in serving others if you guys don't have it find somebody to serve Find somebody to give something to. Uh, find somebody to love on. Uh, if you will begin to do that, you'll begin to feel and experience that joy of the Lord. Uh, find somebody to serve. Jesus Christ came to serve and give his life away. And if we'll model that life of Jesus Christ, you'll have the same kind of joy that Christ had. Begin to serve. Begin to serve. Now, now there's a verse in the Bible. He tells a parable. And uh, at the end of the parable, he he says, when we cross that finish line, we're going to hear these words, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord, enter into the joy of the Lord, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. Now the parable is the one about the talents. He gave one, five, one, two, one, one, and they multiplied their talents and the ones who multiplied their talents and didn't bury it in the ground. He said to the two, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Now, we relate that to heaven. We think, oh, great, we serve on the earth, and one day we get to heaven, and God says, man, you did good, you did great. Uh, Come on in to my house. Now, that's a good application, but I want to take it just a step further. I believe every time you serve, I believe every time you are a good and faithful servant, you also enter into the Lord's joy right here on this earth. Don't just put that as a a heaven scripture. Put it as a right now scripture. It's the heaven on earth right now. You want heaven on earth right now, begin to serve. Be faithful. Be a good and faithful servant. And what happens is when you are a good and faithful servant, you are sharing in the joy that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Right now, that's, that's incredible. So I can enter into the Lord's joy as I am a good and faithful servant right now. You understand why you're getting that? Does that make sense? Are you making a difference in anyone else's life? Are you serving others? There's an Oriental legend about an elderly man who had a very prosperous business, and he knew he was getting up in years, and he had to pass his business on to a successor. And so he got his three nephews, which were his only living relatives, and he had to make a choice about which nephew he was going to give this business to. And so he uh, he gathered them around, he gave each nephew a gold coin. And he told them, he said, I want you to go out and buy something that will fill a large room with this coin. And whoever does the best job at filling the room will inherit my business. So the first nephew came back and he says, I bought some bales of straw and I made a huge pile in the room and I wasn't able to quite cover the entire room. I covered about half the room up with straw and that's really all I had enough to do. And the second nephew came back and he said, well, I bought two huge bags of cotton and I took the cotton and I spread it all over the place. But here again, I didn't have enough money to buy and fill the entire room. And so I only filled about half the room. And the third nephew came back and he says, you know what, I took the gold coin. I saw a man that was hungry. And I fed that man and, and took care of the man. And I had a little bit left. And with the rest of the money, I went out and I bought a candle and a match. And I lit the candle. And the candle, the light filled every corner of that room. And the old man blessed the third nephew and he gave him the business. Now, now here's, here's the, the moral of this story. Listen to me. Are we filling our life with more stuff? and more things? Are we filling our rooms with more toys that we can accumulate in life, more gadgets, more electronics, more bigger stuff with consumerism? are Are we filling our light with that kind of thing? Or are we lighting a candle to show others the light of the Lord Jesus Christ? And I think as we light that candle and we light up those who are around us, and we bring joy into their life, then we, in a real way, enter into the joy of the Lord. And I want to challenge you: light a candle. We, uh, we got gifts on the angel tree. You need to begin buying for people. Buy gifts for children. Uh, get involved in the ministries that we have going on, and bring joy into other people's life. It, it, it's it's incredible, but at Christmas time. There are more people that struggle with loneliness and emptiness and fear and depression than at any other time in the year. In fact, the highest month for suicides occurs during December. Now now, now Christ comes to the world singing joy to the world. And yet people are shooting themselves and hanging themselves because they just can't take it anymore listen i want to challenge you today look to the lord jesus christ he is your only source of joy it tells me when he came god is now approachable i don't have to walk in fear and trepidation but he opens up his arm and says i will love you i will take care of you and we can run into his arms it tells me that god is my savior and and he came to take every sin away and it tells me that god is servant and i can serve like christ did Listen, don't fill your life with the emptiness of the things of this world. It will never, ever satisfy. It will always leave you wanting for more. It will never be enough. Uh, But only in Jesus Christ do we find peace and joy and satisfaction. Listen to what he said in John 4. Everyone who thirsts, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, talking about the well. But whoever drinks the water that I give will never thirst again. So I want to challenge you, church. Listen to me today. Stop everything. uh, Sing with the angels. uh, Shout with the shepherds. uh, A Savior has been born. uh, A baby's coming to the world, uh, and that baby changes everything. uh, And because Christ came, uh, we can sing joy to the world. Hallelujah. Give the Lord praise right now. Hallelujah. Thank you, mighty God. Thank you, mighty God. Hallelujah. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Thanks for listening. For more, check out faithishere.org.